Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Sharp Objects. We just want to give a quick warning uh, before we get into this episode that there are some uh, topics that some people uh, may be uncomfortable with in terms of uh, self-harm and other habits like alcoholism and things. Mentions so, of suicide. Mentions so. of suicide, yes. Yeah, so some dark subject matter. Uh, we'll try not to let it get too dark, but we just wanted to give um, a warning early on that, you know, if you have problems with that, maybe don't listen to this episode. Yep. Sharp Objects was written by Gillian Flynn and published in 2006. And the TV show adaptation on HBO was directed by Jean-Marc Vallée, I think, and came out this year, 2018. 2018. And just wrapped up recently, so. If you don't know, Gillian Flynn also wrote Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. So we have an episode on Gone Girl. And also the director, Jean-Marc Vallée, uh, directed the show Big Little Lies, which we also have an episode on. We are just covering this from all we're angles. We're connecting the dots. Yeah. We are, we're on top of it. Our last episode was a movie that just came out. Yep. This episode's a show that just wrapped up. We're so current. We are. We're so <laughs> up to date. And honestly, it's so exhausting to be up to date. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it, it screws up our recording schedule. It's It, it sucks, but... But also awesome. We love being able to talk about stuff that's new and exciting and happening right now. Um, so if you haven't listened to our Gone Girl episode, it's amazing. Definitely listen to it. Not to so stroke fun. our own egos, <laughs> but it's the best thing you'll ever put your ear holes on. I mean, who doesn't love a Gone Girl? Yeah, I know. <laughs> also, that was our Valentine's Day episode. It was. So also, our Big Little Lies episode was also amazing and really fun to do. That has, I was looking at the stats recently, that's like 22%. Of our total listens. Really? For the whole podcast. Wow. And we're at like 38 episodes now, and like almost a quarter of them are Big Little Lies alone. Wow. So I'm hoping this episode <laughs> also does well. I'm hoping those... So if you're listening, you probably probably already listened to Big Little Lies. Yeah, I would imagine. Statistically, you probably maybe multiple times have listened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're here to talk about sharp objects. Mm-hmm. I have a quick confession to make, and we talked about this just a little bit uh, earlier, but I actually think I like the TV show cover of the book Oh yeah, better than the original cover, which is yeah. almost sacrilege to I say. I know, we, we like notoriously hate movie yeah and tv show like covers of books and it's like why would they do that you know i get it's like marketing and trying Mm -hmm. to get more money but i hate it for the most part but i kind of agree with you in this instance um the book sharp objects the original book that came out i don't know if there's other iterations of the cover but it just has a razor blade on it yeah and it says sharp objects and it just makes me think of design school Mm -hmm. when A classic thing was like the teacher would draw an apple on the board and write apple underneath. Yeah. And they'd say either show this and they'd cover up the word or say this and they'd cover up the apple. Interesting. But don't do both because it's like redundant. It's redundant. And that's literally what this is. (laughs) It's almost that exact example. Yeah. Because I think wouldn't it be more interesting if it was like called sharp objects, but it was something like a picture of something else. Yeah. Like a flower or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something that's kind of connected to just kind of make you think and I Mm -hmm. don't know. Or like a picture of teeth. Mm, ooh, I like that. Because <laughs> it's like a sh- also kind of a sharp, not really sharp, but like biting. Yeah, the no. connotation is mm-hmm. there. But also like the connotation of like speech and vocalization and yeah. Are you listening? <laughs> um, 
uh, book design organizations. Yeah, we should design book covers. We should. You you, me. I mean, you should. You're, well, you're the designer. <laughs> we'll collab. We'll, we'll discuss it. Get back to us, uh, Gillian Flynn. We know you're listening. <laughs> yes, I, I actually do like the movie TV show cover a lot. Yeah, I like it too. And I appreciate you bringing your design perspective into this. Discussion. I always, I always like to talk about it when I get the chance or yeah. I have something to say about it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So let's uh, dive, dive headfirst into all the pointy objects. So many pointy objects. This book was actually uh, Gillian Flynn's first book that she wrote. So oh, really? Debut. I it was, oh, I thought it was. Uh, Dark, it's Dark Places, the other one? Yeah, she wrote this one first. Oh, okay. I always mm-hmm. thought this was her second one, but... No, this one is her debut, and then, of course, Gone Girl is the third and most famous one. Yeah. Is there any word on her coming out with another one? She has, like, a novella that came out okay. um, a few years ago, but mm-hmm. since then, not really much. She's been doing a lot of screenwriting, actually. Yeah. And she wrote... Uh, some of the episodes in this series. Oh, did she? I was yeah. wondering because I looked it up on IMDb and on the writer, she's only credited for the novel. So I wasn't sure mm-hmm. how involved she was with the script writing. But uh, she did write the script for Gone Girl. Yeah, the movie. W- yeah, which is really impressive because I think that's a really tight script. And she's also working on TV sh- or a movie and uh, probably multiple movies, but yeah. a specific one coming out is called Widows. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's by the same director um, who did 12 Years a Slave, and it looks great. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I'm wondering if she's just sort of like in that field right now, mm-hmm. which is a shame because I would hope to he- like get more books from her, but we'll see. Yeah, especially after the, su- <laughs> the success of Gone Girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I- I'd really love to, I'd be excited for another novel from her. Yeah. So Sharp Objects. Uh, stars Camille Preaker, who is the main character, and she's played by Amy Adams in the HBO show. And she's like early 30s, I'd say. I think not much older than maybe like 32 or 33. It's kind of ambiguous for parts of it. You're not yeah. quite sure because Amy Adams could kind of play like a 10 I know. You're like, range. how old is Amy Adams? No one knows. No one knows. <laughs> Scholars have been studying this for years. And God, she is so pretty. Oh, she's gorgeous. Like, even when she's like, Camille is kind of a drunk and she's supposed to look gross. And there was a whole article that I read that was talking about trying to make her look like an alcoholic. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She looks gorgeous the whole show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, and I do think, I think she committed to this role quite a bit. It seemed like she put on some weight for it. She did. Like, nothing that was like, you know, a lot, a lot, but, you know, enough that. Um, you know, it was kind of noticeable. So, uh, mm-hmm. I, I do think she was, you know, invested in this, in this part. Yeah. And then, uh, Patricia Clarkson plays her mother in the show. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that now because I'm, I, I'm not familiar with her name, honestly. I'm sure she's in a lot of stuff, but, yeah. um, I know she's well known. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just probably won't think of it off the top of my head. So I'm saying that now while I looked it up Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> while I have it on my phone right in front of me. Yeah. Uh, and then. Her sister is kind of a newcomer played by Eliza Scanlon. And I just read recently she's going to be in the Pretty Women adaptation. Oh. Or Little Women. <laughs> you know, Pretty Women, the sequel to Pretty Woman. <laughs> you know, this time, when there's two prostitutes. There's more women. 
<laughs> it's Julia Roberts and her sister. Oh. <laughs> this is like when they came out with Miss Congenialities. Remember that? <laughs> yep. It classic. Wouldn't, it wouldn't be an episode unless I screwed up some <laughs> name or word. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, do you mean this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's kind of the general cast. Mm-hmm. But... When we're introduced to Camille, she's a writer. In yeah. the book, she's in Chicago. In the show, she's in St. Louis. Yeah. And she's a reporter for kind of a smaller paper in the city. Yeah. And just kind of getting through life, I Living guess. Living her uh, meaningless dream. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of her putting it. Her very empty life. She talks about not having much in her house. Like, not having a lot of friends, um, not even being able to care for a plant because her life is falling apart. Just kind of barely existing. Um, and then her editor asks her to go back to her hometown of Wind Gap. And this is in Missouri, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he wants her to go there because there, a year ago, a young girl was strangled. Mm-hmm. Found dead in the creek yeah strangled to death and recently another little girl has gone missing so they're kind of thinking it's a serial killer potentially yeah and he wants her to kind of jump in on this early if it does turn out to be like a a national news story of a serial killer they kind of want first dibs on the story and Mm -hmm. of course her personal connection yeah, and he's like, you know, get that personal angle. Like, it's your hometown. Like, what are what's the reactions of this small town shaken by this, like, murder? You know, what's going on there? Um, and Camille really doesn't want to go, but is sort of forced into it. Yeah, she's very hesitant. And her editor, it's clear there's a personal connection with them early yeah. on. Because he kind of tells her, listen, you don't have to. I get it. But I think it would be good for you. Yeah. Kind of emotionally to see your family again, maybe have some closure on the, at this point, the mysterious things of your past. Yeah. (laughs) And so you do realize there's a connection between them, kind of just beyond boss and and employee. Yeah. And Camille hasn't been back to her hometown in over 13 years, 12 or 13 years. something like that. Yeah. So she reluctantly (laughs) packs her bags and and heads out. Yeah. Uh, And then... And then she gets there. <laughs> and then she gets there and she's like, oh, got to go to visit my mom, who is like the richest person in town and is in a giant mansion and owns a hog butchering business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the story does a good job of kind of building the societal structure of this town. Yeah. Her mom being very prominent, owning this pig farm that a lot of people work at. Yeah. And she's kind of a, a she's socialite. She's royalty. Yeah, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then she, Camille has a uh, a half-sister yep. who she hasn't seen in years mm-hmm. and does not know very well at all. Actually, like when she gets there, uh, I, I'll just jump ahead a little bit. She sees her at one point and she talks to her and doesn't know who she is and yeah. only later finds out it's Amma her sister mhm cuz she's been gone for about 12 or 13 years and her sister Amma is 13 so she oh, like yeah. Yeah, I guess she it- only knew her when she was a baby like just born um and knew of her existence but really didn't know what she looked like really even 
Um, and she just sees her around town with these other kind of like 13 year old girls kind of in this girl gang. Yeah. In the show, they are always rollerblading everywhere. Always rollerblading. <laughs> they made me want to rollerblade. I was like, oh, I just want to like feel the wind in my hair. <laughs> <laughs> it gave it a super kind of retro vibe. It did. That yeah. These kind of uh, not inline skates, but I don't know what you call them where it's like two by two. Yeah. <laughs> I, I uh, never rollerbladed. I, I, Spoiler. I just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did so much in, in, in elementary school. That was like a classic thing to go to the roller rink. Yeah, I never learned how to roller skate. But yeah, they're just always going around town. And especially in the show, there's constant. They're like just constantly in the background. Yeah. Or like insert shots Skating. of girls, skater girls going around. <laughs> uh, another character in this story that we're introduced to pretty early on is uh richard what's his last name richard willis is okay richard willis yeah who is a detective brought in from kansas city to kind of investigate the second girl's disappearance after the first one turned up dead yeah so he's kind of a newcomer to the town and is just looking into this case yeah, he's actually he. I think he was brought in when the first girl was found murdered. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So he's been there for a long time. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And they just haven't found any clues. Hmm. So they haven't been able to solve the crime of the first girl and Nash, her mm-hmm. death. Um, and Camille is trying to interview the sheriff there and the detective. And the sheriff really doesn't want to share anything with her, obviously, because she's like press and everything. And he doesn't want to draw attention to the fact that another girl is missing and they still haven't solved the first girl's murder. Yeah. And Richard is clearly like frustrated, trying to find clues, trying to trying to get any kind of a lead uh, that he can. But he's really coming up short. He doesn't know the town and people don't want to talk to him. People don't trust him because he's out of town. And the sheriff, too, like doesn't really want to work with him because he sees him coming in as like trying to steal his thunder sort of and take over his town. And so he's sort of in a weird spot and kind of sees Camille as uh, a comrade, maybe uh, because yeah. she's not she is from Wingat, but she lives elsewhere. And so he's like, just talk to me like a normal person. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> like, I can't stand this like rural Missouri. Yeah. Vibe. Vibe. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> so they er, pretty early on kind of have a connection. And so after seeing Richard and her together, I wasn't at this point yet in the book, but I was like, oh, they're they're going to bang. They're totally like, in, Immediately. Bang. <laughs> He's handsome. She's handsome. They're constantly drenched in sweat. Yeah. Because it's just muggy Missouri. <laughs> just you know, ripe for banging. <laughs> yes, totally. Um, yeah. So let's talk about her mom a little bit. Adora. Adora. Uh, Such Adora. weird names. Everyone is a weird name. Yeah. Adora, her half sister's Amma. Mm-hmm. And then what, what's her dad's name? Why am I? Alan. Alan. Okay. That's not weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking there's another one. Oh, I guess just Camille. The yeah. main character Camille is also an interesting name. Yeah. Adora is the most fragile, annoying person I've ever seen in a show. She needs constant attention. Mm-hmm. Constant. Like, she always has to be the center of attention. And everything is about her. And everything is like this huge deal and this elaborate thing. Yeah. And 
I don't know. It's it, it's super annoying, and it comes across really well um, in the show and in the book too. Like you just hate her immediately. <laughs> oh my god, I know she. Uh, the person who Patricia Clarkson, yeah, plays her extremely well. Yeah, uh, she really just nails the character. But my god, what an insufferable person. Yeah, and it, I think the maybe part of this is my own not misconception, but going into the story. You know, she's really insufferable at the beginning. Yeah. And I'm expecting, maybe wrongfully so, that we're going to, we do learn more about her. Yeah, we'll find out more why she is the way she is. And you expect to develop a certain amount of empathy for her. And even though you kind of find out her background a little bit, she never becomes more likable in any way. No. And at a certain point in this story that just becomes really exhausting. It is. Cause you're like, are we ever going to learn anything about her? And I mean, we learn <laughs> shit about her. Yeah. Later on, but nothing that makes her more likable. No, or even adds that much humanity to her. Yeah. Either. She's just this figure that constantly needs attention is always, um, like you said, super fragile. Like anything can disturb her like perfect harmony of her life. And she just always wants her way in yeah. everything and is very cold when she does not get her way. Let's talk about Emma. Yes. Camille's beloved 13 year old sexy half sister. <laughs> very an interesting character, although I'm not always into the way she's portrayed. No, uh, you mentioned this a lot and I was reading over my notes and I had a bunch of, notes about this too where in the book and in the show it's visualized but in the book there's a lot of descriptions about how sexy Emma is yeah like from Camille's perspective from Camille thinking it yeah Yeah. and Camille being like there was a specific comment that was weird to me where she was talking about how Emma was like fed with like all this milk and meat that was like filled with hormones that like developed Uh, her early like all these breasts that she has now they all have like Emma and her friends all have great breasts yeah and like they've developed early because of their American diet like filled with you know and I I was just sort of like weird (laughs) (laughs) that's a weird thing to think yeah it's an odd like conclusion to jump to yeah it's like "Mm, look at those 13 year olds pumped with hormones give me those um uh Milk fed, beef fed, Missouri yeah, girls. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah, it, it's. I get what Gillian Flynn was doing in her writing in terms of, you know, she's a girl who has just gone through puberty. Yeah. So she's kind of in this weird state of both being treated as kind of this innocent child, child by her mother. And she mm-hmm. plays into that in a lot of instances, kind of dressing like for Sunday school. Yeah. So, you know, uh, but then when she's out with her friends, you know, low cut shirts, super tight shorts, that kind of thing. Yeah. A ver- very sexy outfits, I guess. Yeah. And this is like a dynamic that I think a lot of 13 year olds face or like in that age range when you are changing, mm-hmm. you know, you're like still clinging to, you know, childhood things. But also there's this pressure to become um, this sexy teenager, this feminine ideal. Um, and Emma is almost like the extreme of this where she has like two separate identities. Yeah. Like she has the face she presents to her mom, Adora, this dutiful, uh, prim and proper fancy daughter. And then this like sexy, 
minx, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah, with yeah. her friends, like, skating around the town. Like, and it's weird because, like, Adora doesn't really know that she's led this way, or she knows and she chooses to ignore it. She, I don't know. You, I think you kind of find out later that she's a little more aware of it than yeah. she might let on. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's more successful in the show only because we're not getting these inner thoughts of Camille because that's especially what was weird to me yeah and it's not just one observation about her like attractive young body yeah it's a lot lot. (laughs) it it comes up a lot yeah and you're like is this Camille being attracted to Emma like what is this because the other aspect of what of the book maybe more specifically but also the show their relationship and their closeness is kind of fetishized it is. in a way. Yeah. And I did I could not grasp kind of the reasoning for this. Or like the angle, the handle. Yeah, I was I, I get Emma being sexy and yeah. like kind of what what she's doing with that at her age. But Camille's constant so first of all, yeah, Camille's constantly noticing that yeah. and commenting on it. But then just a lot of their interactions also lean into that too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if she sees, like, a reflection of herself at that age. Maybe. Because she talks about also kind of being, um, growing up really fast mm, as, yeah. as a young girl. Um, and kind of being forced into this, um, adolescence and womanhood before her time, I think. Yeah. And so I don't know if that was part of it, but, um, yeah, Emma is kind of presented as a very sexualized person and she, you know, is hiding this stuff from her mom, but, um, is very popular in school, has this kind of group of friends that are also sexy and they all hang out (laughs) together. Yeah. Yeah. So she's definitely got kind of two personalities and especially with, even with Camille, sometimes she's just this huge bitch to her like in public and just terrible. And then other points, Camille, when she's with her alone, they kind of have a connection. Yeah. And even Am is like, I don't know why I do the things I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I, I guess that's not that's not really a reason, but okay. Yeah. Uh, Emma is weird from the beginning and she continues to be weird throughout the whole story. I said from the beginning. Yeah. I was like. She definitely killed those girls. <laughs> I was like, there is no doubt in my mind that she murdered those girls. <laughs> I won't say right now if I was right or not. But if you watch the show yeah. or read, you you know if I was right. <laughs> I was just like, she is way too kind of bipolar and strange yeah. and just super weird and and odd. And later on we're kind of given an explanation as to why she might be that way. Yeah. But early on, before we're given that explanation, I'm like, she's just, she's crazy. She's She's so weird. She's so bizarre. She killed them. She absolutely did it. Yeah. So, um, a lot of characteristics, characteristics with Amma that I didn't know that just didn't sit well with me. We're kind of confusing. So, but, uh, then we get our first development in the murder case with the turning up of the second girl, uh, Ann Nash. Natalie Keene. Natalie Keene. 
is and the Nash second. is the first. Oh, that's right. That's right. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> uh, I told myself I wouldn't do this. Um, Natalie Keene. Yeah. Who is found in an alleyway. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we're informed that the first body, when it showed up, didn't have any teeth. The teeth were removed from her yeah. mouth. And it's the same with the second girl. So clearly there's. It's uh, the same killer. It's the same killer. Yeah. Yeah. And Camille happens to be there when the body turns up kind of almost overly overly coincidentally uh but yeah so this is kind of our first development in this murder case that she's there to investigate Mm -hmm. yeah and camille ends up interviewing a lot of people in the town she interviews Anne's family talking about what she was like and everything and then she talks to uh natalie's family who actually they don't really want to speak to her at all Mm -hmm. um which makes sense because their daughter just showed up dead But uh, Camille, of course, will not be deterred and is interviewing other people and trying to find out as much as she can. But kind of the primary suspects right now are Anne's father and Natalie's brother, John. Yeah, uh, John, people suspect him because he's... He is too sad. He's too sad as a man. Yeah. As as a young man, he is showing too much emotion about his sister dying. Yeah. And I guess people have kind of known him to be a sensitive type. Yeah. Uh, and I guess people make the leap to, oh, he likes, uh, young girls. Yeah. And will kill them. Yeah. John is 18, just graduated, and Natalie was his sister, and is very sad about her being dead and someone having killed her. He is upset about it. Yeah. <laughs> and people are like, oh, he's too sad, if you know what I mean. Is he he's too been crying sad? in public, and boys don't cry in public if they can help it. I'm like, his fucking sister was just murdered i know like oh my god he can't cry he can't cry at the funeral and people are like he totally did it and the 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 association with sensitivity crying um being tender and that uh gentleness with um perversion is very disturbing it is they kind of make the leap to like maybe he's either perverted or gay. Yeah. And then use those and turn those urges onto his own sister. It's interesting because there's, there's a lot of looking into, uh, like negative qualities of, um, I don't want to like toxic femininity yeah. and also toxic masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the things Camille, G- gender roles, gender roles. Yeah. A lot mm-hmm. of things Camille runs into, are kind of like people are like, oh, who are you dating? When are you going to start a family? Yeah. um, You know, negative associations with like motherly nurturing and just kind of a lot of those things associated with women. But then John Keene's role is kind of seeing uh, the male side of that, seeing how men are held up to these gender roles in in that way. So I I think it's interesting. And I was also thinking this is kind of a – almost a precursor to a lot of what Gone Girl's about. Yeah. Because Gone Girl's a lot about uh, being in the public eye mm-hmm. uh, during... And, like, what behavior is appropriate yeah. when a tragedy happens. And I think Gone Girl addressed it in a more nuanced, interesting way... It definitely does. ...than this story does. Yeah. Uh, I think in this story, we have this small-town, closed-minded type of mindset. Um, and I get it, but also... It felt like no one was willing to look outside of that at all. So that was a little frustrating. There wasn't a lot of kind of reflection other than John Keene is sad and emotional and people think that means he killed them. Yeah. So it's interesting, but not as 
delved into as much as it could have been yeah. in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, around this time, uh, Camille is also kind of developing her relationship with the detective, uh, Richard Willis. And they kind of strike this deal where she agrees to kind of tell him a little bit about the town's history, show him around um, local places, and he will kind of answer some questions for her, for her story. Um, and so she takes him around the town and sort of shows him like the secret like places that the teens go to hang out, the kids go, places she went as a child, um, and is telling him kind of stories of Wind Gap and things that have happened there, like violent things. Uh, and this is where we get some of Camille's backstory a little bit and things that she had to deal with when she was growing up. Yeah, yeah. So we find this out pretty early on, but Camille had a, a sister, a younger sister. Marion. Marion, who was very sickly and kind of dealt with illness all her life and ended up uh, dying from it. Yeah. When Camille was still pretty young. She was a teenager. I think she I think was Amazon. 12 age. or 13. Yeah. yeah. So that deeply traumatized her. And we also find out that uh, at some point she was gang raped yeah. by the football team. Yeah. And there's kind of some ambiguity into how how willing of a participant Camille was in it. Cause, and I only say that because in the book she kind of defends it in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a little bit like... So I actually just wanted to read a little, oh, great. little brief part of it because when I read it, I was like, what am I supposed to think from this? Yeah, okay, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I'm glad you have the actual passage. Cause... Yeah, so she's describing, you know, in the book, the detective asks her, describe violent incidents that you, you saw during your childhood or, or during your life here at Wing Gap. And she describes it but doesn't say that it happened to her, but yeah. you know that it happened to her. So she talks about um, getting drunk at a high school party, a girl who was 13 or 14, which was her, who got drunk at a party and was passed around to like four or five different guys. And he was like, I would call that rape. And she kind of gets defensive about it and is like, well, blah, 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 blah. And she says, um, you're sexist. She said, I'm so sick of liberal left lefty men practicing sexual discrimination under the guise of protecting women against sexual discrimination. And then she said, sometimes drunk women aren't raped. They just make stupid choices. And to say we deserve special treatment when we're drunk because we're women to say we need to be looked after. I find offensive. Yeah, this is It's weird. And part of me is like, are we supposed to think that Camille is just defensive about it because she doesn't want to believe that she was raped yeah um or is this like the view we're supposed to take as readers it feels like the view only because it's kind of political the left-leaning men yeah aspect feels very topical and uh yeah so i, I have the same reaction where i'm like is it that she's kind of yeah, defensive because it happened to her, maybe not dealing or processing yeah. it correctly. But it's just kind of never brought, never up, brought again. up again. And if it was brought up again, and if she dealt with it more later on in the book, I would be like, oh, she was just being defensive. And it was because she done, didn't want to believe that that happened to her. But since it's not brought up again, it does leave it kind of like, is this the view that we're supposed to take? Like if someone is drunk, they cannot consent. Yeah, especially to have sex with anyone, let alone four or five different people. And, and a 14-year-old girl, too, yeah. at that. Um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the, the the setup for it is so, you know, we're not even talking about a woman who's drunk on a date. And no. Had, which is still obviously, you know, yeah. can't consent and stuff. But this is like the most extreme situation I could think of. And she's kind of defending it. So it's a very bizarre part. Yeah. And you can, I mean, Camille has been through. You find out later in the book, too, that that's the first time that she ever had sex. Yeah. And I'm like, that is absolutely horrifying. The, the show... Vague. The show addresses this, yeah, kind of a little more vaguely. But there's a character in the show who I think is the music teacher who did the yeah. play and stuff. He kind of tries talking to Camille at one point, kind of weird. Like you're like, is he trying to hit on her? You're not yeah, sure. Yeah, what's he doing? And then he sees her again later, and he's kind of like, listen, I'm I'm really sorry about that thing that happened in high school. Like I'm sorry. And Camille kind of tells him. She kind of has a good response. I feel like her attitude feels a little bit more in alignment with what would be expected. But he tells her he's like trying to clear his conscience. He's like, yeah, I, I, I've never been able to think. He's like, I've never been able to get it out of my head. Like, I feel so guilty that about thing it. We I'm did so sorry. You. And like, I feel, I've never been able to get over it. And Camille goes, well, I guess we both got fucked. Yeah. And just very kind of bitter. Yeah. And it's like, like I don't want your apology. Yeah. You know, I don't want any of this and yeah it's a little more it makes it seem not like she's excusing what happened but also that she has not processed this trauma you Mm -hmm. know um yeah i was not a fan of the way the book treated this situation because it's a horrible thing that happened to her um and it's not really brought up that much in the book at all yeah and then there's so and there's so many elements to Camille. I know. She's a current alcoholic. Yeah. Okay, let's just get that out of the way. She drinks the entire show. Yeah. And book. Yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the reason she partly, the reason she drinks, at least explained in the book, is that uh, she um, self-harmed yeah. for many years. And it, 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 and the way she did it was she would actually cut words into herself. Yeah. And this is talked about a lot in the book, you know, the the specific words, she'll kind of like feel them on her skin. Yeah. And, and need to mark herself with them. Yeah. And, and she talked about writing on her skin for a while. Yes. And then that kind of led into cutting. Um, and she still writes on her skin in the book a lot, just yeah. kind of as a, a habit almost. But at this point in her life, she's completely covered. So like her face is clear, her hands and like feet, I'm guessing, but everywhere else on her body is like absolutely covered. Mm-hmm, in all these. And the, and the show kind of uh, doesn't really address this head on for quite a while. Yeah. We kind of know really immediately in the book, kind of given an explanation to it, but in the show, we only kind of get glimpses of the words. Yeah. And then I'll get an explanation like partway through. But mm-hmm. clearly, and she was in a a facility. Rehab. A rehab facility, I guess, that is specialized for people who self-harm. I think mm-hmm. specifically cutting. So we, we get that background a little bit more. Explored in the show a little bit more, too. Yeah. It feels like, so let me give you the timeline of Camille's spiral. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So her sister dies... Uh, she does not process it. Her mom is just a bitch. So she starts cutting and around the same time she starts having, uh, meaningless sex slash was raped. Yeah. Um, and that maybe that leads into her being okay with sex because she feels like she doesn't have value. Um, so she lives this kind of wild life 
life in high school is secretly cutting the whole time, gets to college, gets to adult life, still cutting a ton, also drinking now, and then goes to rehab, stops cutting, keeps drinking. (laughs) (laughs) We need like a visual diagram of like the overlaps here. And like the drinking I think is helping her to not cut anymore. Yeah. But but it's it's still like not good. Uh, And then she decides to go back home and face her mom and memories of her dead sister, which started this whole problem in the first place. Yeah. And we're also kind of, I think, led to believe that because she went into this rehab facility um, for the cutting, I think it's when she was a a reporter. And I think that's how she got this bond with her boss. Yeah. Because I think her boss became aware of it or understood. That she and he, had to go to rehab. Yeah, and he visited at one point. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why they have kind of the close bond that they do. Yeah. And I really, that bond and his character, uh, Curry, is, yeah. her, is her editor, uh, is the only, like, Good, relief. Sweet part. <laughs> yeah, the only relief through the whole story is when she talks to him and he genuinely cares about her. Yeah. And is looking out for her. And he's like, How are you doing? Like, are you okay? Yeah. Like, you can come home if this is too much for you. You know, checking in on her and wanting her to be okay and, and worried about her. And is like, he's a surrogate father to yeah. her, essentially. Yeah. So that, that's a little bit of the relief. But do you think, and this is a main thing I wanted to ask, do you think Camille as a character is too like broken. Do you think there's too many? I feel like there's too many overlapping traumas in her life that to a point it just kind of feels. Um, I mean, I totally get what she has, but to trace all of these problems to a sister that died like many 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 years ago yeah and to not have dealt with that at all in that time um is kind of surprising i think yeah um because you would have thought if she was in that dark of a state and had not really processed this like trauma for a long time that she would either like really be in rehab right now, like yeah. actual psych ward or possibly would have tried to kill herself. I mean, yeah, it's tough to say as someone who hasn't like had any kind of major loss in their life. Yeah. But I also question a narrative where someone suffers from this, you know, tragedy and then never gets over it or recovers. Cause I mean, People go through shit in real life all the time. Yeah. And not that it's easy. No. But people learn to cope and kind of have to cope. Yeah. Uh, And I think, you know, over the distance of time, you know, people become more accepting of it. Well, and, and we it, as humans, like, yeah, we like time does let us forget things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And pain does lessen over time. Like, that's just the way that we're made. Um. So it, and for Camille to not have really dealt with any of this at all, like nothing, like yeah. absolutely, it feels like fresh, like everything is fresh. And she doesn't, she doesn't actively blame those things, but we're led to believe that like all this is because her sister died and because her mom was like mean to her. Um, but people go through, but people go through a lot of stuff and are not. Yeah. Yeah. And you could make an argument that. Okay, the dead sister led to the cutting, led yeah. to the drinking. But then you add a gang rape on top of that that's yeah. kind of not really connected. I mean, unless 
you think of her as being like more willing to it because of the trauma, but it just gets to the point where she becomes, you can't really almost address any of that in a way that is effective. I know. And she doesn't really deal with anything during the book at all or the story. Like it would be one thing if she was actively dealing with this stuff, but she's just now deciding to like reexamine her sister dying um, she's stopped cutting, but like the impulse is still very strong in her and yeah. she's really struggling with that. She is clearly an alcoholic and should be in rehab for that as well. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, everything that happened with her like sexually and this gang rape that happened is not brought up again after like the first time they talk about it. In it's the just kind of like thrown in there Yeah. for what extent like oh she wasn't damaged enough we're just gonna throw this in yeah so i had a lot of problems with her traumatic past because not that people can't not that this person couldn't exist yeah not that a person couldn't fail to deal with their trauma for so long that this happens but there wasn't a lot of nuance yeah yeah this kind of thing has to be handled delicately and i just don't think it was yeah i agree yeah but we probably talked about this enough now. <laughs> all the, we just had to get it. We had to unload all yeah, of this. Yeah. And it's been unloaded. Mm-hmm. So now let's get to the more fun topic of the murder. Yes, murders and which, teeth missing. Yeah, which um, not a lot um, not happens. Not a lot happens in this story, honestly. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was real bummed about this. Because when the story started, I'm like, I am into this. Yeah. Like, into dead girls and (laughs) murder and no but like you know it's a classic uh small town murder mystery she's a reporter digging for the truth yeah you know this kind of weird twisted teeth missing aspect adds a lot of interest Mm -hmm. and then at one point there's this kind of added layer of a kid saw one girl abducted yeah and he saw this woman in white with like white hair and a white dress yeah. in the woods, kind of come out of the woods and take Natalie Keene, yeah. the second girl, mm-hmm. which is like, ooh, I like this kind of almost mythic yeah. folklore creepiness to it. Mm-hmm. I really was into that aspect. Supernatural-ish. But there are like almost no developments no. throughout the entire story. And so it sets up this great murder mystery plot and then doesn't really do and anything with it. And then nothing happens. It. And she has this relationship with a detective. And yes, they do bang. They do. <laughs> but not much comes from it. Like she doesn't glean very much information from him. And then he doesn't really get that much from her either. <laughs> no. Like nothing really. They're both very ineffective. Yeah. Nothing really develops. Like she takes him to a bunch of places around. And he's like, yeah, I've been to these places already, basically. Mm-hmm. And then he tells her some comments about the case, but they know nothing. So he tells her basically nothing because they haven't solved anything. Yeah. There's kind of a lot of intrigue around Jonathan Keene, the brother. Yeah. But no info about that really comes up. No. Um. Yeah. It, it was just. And I guess you know, throughout this story. So it becomes much more in a way about the town and her and Camille's family specifically. Yeah. And of course, like I'm making the connection now, like we're focusing so much on her mother and her sister and the family members. I wonder who killed these girls. Because guess what? (laughs) Yeah. You know, you're just kind of naturally assuming it's going to be, because what's the tie in? Yeah. You know, like there are some thematic tie ins to the murders of these girls 
and her family and kind of society's um, pressure and kind of hatred for rebellious women yes. in a way. So mm-hmm. that is kind of a thematic tie-in. But ultimately, plot-wise, I'm like, there's got to be some connection. So probably. It's probably them. <laughs> it's probably uh, either her mother or absolutely, definitely Emma. Yeah, she totally did <laughs> She it. definitely did it. <laughs> it was never even a question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's not much of an actual murder mystery. Yeah, which I was really bummed about. So if people are picking it up, being like, ooh, a detective or like, you know, murder mystery thriller, it's definitely more of a family drama, Mm -hmm. I would say. Uh, Fucked up family drama, but... (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, plot-wise, when she's not at home dealing with her terrible mother... Or drinking. Or drinking... She's talking to different characters in the town and just kind of living her life. Oh, let's talk about Alan. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Possibly the most ineffective person. He's like the potted plant of the family. (laughs) He's kind of this. He's Camille's stepdad. Yeah. Camille's stepdad, this southern gentleman, hard to know kind of guy. Wears cardigans. Mm-hmm. Uh, listens to music, uh, has his pursuits. He doesn't work. Neither does Adora because they're wealthy as fuck. Uh, and he is just a non-person. Like he, he, he truly is. He has a few conversations with people, but he doesn't contribute much to anything. Just lets Adora do whatever she wants. And it's weird because you're like, oh, Camille doesn't really like have a relationship with him because he's her stepdad. Yeah. But then you find out that... Adora had had Camille with this guy that she barely knew. Mm -hmm. And then she never spoke his name. So Camille has no idea who he is. He's totally out of the picture. And then when Camille was like one, she married Alan. So Alan has been her father her whole life. life. And she still like doesn't talk to him. They still. Yeah, it's kind of a a wanted to have her cake and eat it, too, kind of thing. Like for some reason in the plot timeline, I guess Gillian Flynn felt it necessary that they married when Camille was only one. Yeah. But then they still have this weird disassociation. Non-relationship. Yeah. Like, you know, a probably a stepfather might have with uh, his an stepdaughter. Older. An, an older stepdaughter. Yeah. yeah. So that was very weird because you don't know reading the story or I think in the show what this timeline is per se. Yeah. Of, I personally assumed that. Camille and her sister who died, uh, Marion, yeah. ha- probably had the same dad. Yeah. But no, Marion was actually only her half-sister. Half-sister. So. Because the ages are so different. Like, Marion and Camille were only, like, three or four years apart. Yeah. And then Ama and Camille are, like, 20, 20 years yeah. Yeah, so you're like, oh, it must be, like, Ama is Alan's daughter, but... Like he was there the whole time. Like, yeah. And why did they wait so long to have Emma after? Yeah. I, when I found out that Alan had been her father his whole life or her whole life, I was like, "What?" I, I was genuinely, yeah, I was yeah. genuinely shocked. Um, he's just kind of like a non-person, but I was really bummed because the show seemed to be developing him a little bit more subtly. Yeah. There's a scene where there's kind of a a, a discussion, a very terrible, tense discussion between Adora and Camille. Mm-hmm. Similar to the book. And in the show, we see that Alan is upstairs listening to this. 
And he seems to be reflecting on the fact that Adora is awful. Yeah. You know, he seems to kind of be like, oh, geez. This bitch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I was like, oh, okay. They're kind of like fleshing him out a little bit. But then later on, he's still just a dick to Camille and is like, you're dangerous for Amma to be around. Yeah, and and I'll do whatever Adora tells me to. Yeah, so it seemed like they were developing him, but then not at all. Yeah. Uh, So a couple things that the show adds kind of to the story. Um, There's this whole like setup where they have this uh, town day called Calhoun Day. And it's like sort of their founder or something. And they do like a skit. It's a whole party. Honestly, it's not really important. (laughs) It's just a reason to bring all these characters together and have tension and stuff. And like. Detective Richard, the detective, talks to Adora, and then Camille and Ama have a thing, and then it's like this whole... Yeah, it's ultimately just kind of a throwaway thing. Mm -hmm. The other aspect of the show that's expanded is we do follow Richard kind of independently and Vickery independently out of Camille's point of view. Just them investigating aimlessly, (laughs) (laughs) kind of just... And having some conflict that ultimately means nothing. Yeah. So, you know, it it adds tension in certain ways. Certain characters get a little bit more to do because of that freedom to go out of Camille's perspective. Yeah. But ultimately, it's it's the ad- it's a very faithful adaptation. It is ultimately pretty much no deviations, mm-hmm. which I think is because it's a show. Yeah. Like they actually have to pad it with some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. And uh, there's another kind of side plot in the show where. Chief Vickery uh, wants to bang Adora. Yeah, or maybe <laughs> currently is banging Adora. But yeah. Like, you're not sure. Like, Alan kind of talks about it sometimes, like, kind of confronts him and makes these comments. Like, nothing is ever directly addressed. No. It's all under the surface, like, these jabs and innuendos and things. So, we also actually get a deeper look into. Camille's stay at rehab. Yeah. We were informed in the story, but not really, we didn't really go into it, but her one roommate committed suicide when she was there. Yeah. So if you were looking for more trauma (laughs) uh, in Camille's life, this girl who she grew close with and kind of became like a surrogate sister with. Yeah. uh, Kills herself. (laughs) And so that's super sad. Yeah. Again. Mm -hmm. But there is this interesting element where Camille listens to music a lot the music in this show is pretty good it is although it's weird because specifically at the beginning there's actually a lot of like led zeppelin yeah and kind of some classic music and rock uh kind of a lot of southern rock gospel soul rock kind of music um but that only lasts like three episodes no and then that totally like changes it seems like an important thing to her and we've learned that it's because the girl who she knew in rehab listened to music a lot yeah and they bonded over that so you're like oh there's a reason for that which i kind of liked they sort of dropped it they completely dropped it it's really weird (laughs) it seems like a coping thing for her yeah and then i don't know maybe she doesn't need to cope anymore yeah she just embraces the spiral (laughs) (laughs) she's like i'm just gonna ride it like a like one of those spinny slides yeah but in in the show like they don't have an opening song like the song is different every episode and it was cool for like maybe the first two or three episodes and then I was like, I kind of hate this now because <laughs> it's the same scenes, like it's the same footage, but just with a different song each time yeah. for the opening. And I was like, 
it was cool at first, but now I'm like, this is sort of boring and the songs weren't very interesting. Mm-hmm. Like if they maybe chosen more interesting songs. There were some, I, I like the idea that the context of the visuals changes kind of based on the music you're listening to. Yeah. So sometimes there's kind of creepy old timey music playing. Sometimes it's like an R&B slow jam. Yeah. Which was kind of weird, but I kind of thought was interesting. But yeah, I I disliked, I think, more music than I liked in the the opening. Yeah. And then there were some other interesting song choices in it. So I overall liked the music more than I disliked the music. The opening credit thing was interesting, but Mm -hmm. wasn't always effective. Yeah, I wasn't really a fan. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, yeah, so I, we've talked about how this doesn't really have a plot. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, but the bigger, the biggest thing that happens next is that Camille decides to use her influence as a 32 year old to help her sister grow and become a better person and lead her on a path towards responsible living. Uh, no, just kidding. She goes to a house party with her. Yeah, she goes to a party with her 13-year-old sister. After taking um, Oxycontin. Oxycontin that her sister gave her. Yeah. And then they're at the party, and then <laughs> they play a game where they pass an ecstasy tablet around mouth to mouth. Mouth to mouth. Uh, until, and once again, this is what we were talking about with this weird kind of sexual... Sister. Sister. Uh, Amma passes it to Camille, but kind of like forces it on her tongue so it dissolves because that's the game. So. Yeah. Uh, Camille is then tripping balls on ecstasy. Yep. And it's kind of, it's weird. It's so weird. It's very weird. I don't know if it's a testament to how fucked up Camille is, but this is like a bonding experience for her. Yeah. With Emma. Yeah. This is kind they're both like, I mean, they're fucked up, but they're like, I'm so happy. And I love my, you. You're We're my sisters. sisters. Yeah. And. But, I am just like so disappointed in Camille. Yeah. Like what kind of person, what kind of person do you have to be? When you're literally in your 30s and you're like, this is my 13 year old sister. Mm -hmm. And her sister, of course, is already living this life. She's not really like leading her down the path of destruction, but she's letting her sister lead her down the path of destruction. Like her sister picks her up in this van with a bunch of other teenagers. Yeah. These teenagers pick her up. Who have clearly, they're on drugs and are drinking. They're all on drugs. And she's like, let's get into this van. Let me not try to get my sister out of it or just let my sister do her own thing even. She's like, yeah, I'll join. Sure, I'll take an oxy. Like just casual, (laughs) like prescription drug abuse right here. And I'll admit this ties into a theme of both versions of the story where which i thought was interesting at the beginning which is when like she returns home there's kind of this return to feeling like a kid yeah where she feels dominated by her mom judged by everyone in the town Mm -hmm. there's kind of this she becomes uh like a teenage version of herself yeah once again kind of even though she's like 32 years old She feels like she's back to being a kid. And I do kind of I did like these elements of the book and its discussion on that. 
but this is like 10 steps too far. Yeah. And like, what fun would a 32 year old (laughs) even have at a teenager party? Like, yeah. I don't even want to go to a teenager party. That would be terrible. <laughs> That's what the kids call it, right? Like, a let's teenager go, party. Let's go to a teenager party. <laughs> if and you're 20, like, get out. She's like, I already took some oxy and I'm feeling pretty good. But also, let's do some ecstasy. Like, casual. Yeah. And then there's this whole weird thing when they when they get back. They, like, both fall over and injure themselves. And then Amma runs into Camille. Like, smashes her head into her. In the show, I, I'm amazed. The show is actually pretty truthful to the book yeah. in this incident, but it felt a little more organic, I guess, and how it could have happened. Yeah. The way the book explained it, I was like, what the fuck are they doing? Yeah. They're just like falling over each other. Like they're bleeding everywhere. Yeah. And then Emma like runs at Camille and like headbutts her. Yeah. And like cracks her skull. Yeah. It's real weird. And then they both go. And then once again, Emma's like, can I sleep with you tonight? Yeah. And Camille finally gives in. And in the book, when she gets in bed with her, she's naked. Yeah. It, it's so weird. And it's fucked very up. weird. But yeah, this was kind of a, a, a larger moment for both stories that mm-hmm. was the same for both and both equally weird, bizarre. And I was disappointed in Camille. <laughs> Me too. There's only a certain point where I get she's fucked up. But yeah. Like, as, as a viewer and reader, you You're just like, I don't think a person would do this. Or just like, I can't relate to you at all. Yeah. Or empathize with you in any way. You're just kind of beyond me being able to like you in any way. Yeah. Oh, we forgot to talk, talk about how Adora told Camille that she never loved her. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's that's basically it. That's basically what happens. She stays up late to wait for Camille to come home so she can tell her, I know why I never loved you. <laughs> that's how, that was her opener. That's her to opening this discussion. <laughs> I think I know why I never loved you now. Yeah. Uh, an equally terrible moment from Adora was when she forced Camille into trying on dresses at a store. Oh, yeah. And actually forced her to walk out in a dress, which was like, there's all these strapless dresses. Yeah. And Camille's like, I can't wear these. I can't show my scars. Yeah. Like, that's a secret from pretty much everyone. But Adora, knowing this... Like, steals her clothes. And then forces her to come out of the dressing room just so she can shame her about it. Yeah. This was at the point where I'm like, okay, clearly they're not going to create any empathy for Adora. No. Like, we're beyond that point. She's just... 100% pure the worst concentrate. (laughs) Yeah. And when she tells, talks to Camille about why she didn't love her, she always, she says that she was always super willful, always cold and just like her own mother. As a, as a a baby. baby, Yeah. She's like, you wouldn't uh, take to my nipple breastfeeding. I knew right away that you were just not going to be worth it. Yeah. And, Camille's like, I was a child. Like, I don't know what you want. And she talk, uh, Adora talks about how I thought you were going to save me. Like I'd have something that would love me and that I could love. And then you were just like so cold to me. And Camille's like, I was a baby. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I didn't live up to your expectations by the age of one. Yeah. And it's just like really Horrible. There's also a creepy part in the book where I guess there's a spot on her back uh, that's kind of clear, which makes sense because she probably can't Couldn't like, reach. literally reach it. Yeah. But uh, Adora feels it and she just leans in. She's like, 
I'm going to carve my name right here. Yeah. And then like walks away. What the fuck? You're like, oh my God. Yeah. So, you know. So that happened. Those are all things that Adora has done throughout the course of the story. Uh, And then if you didn't think that was enough, uh, Camille eventually pieces together the facts Namely, after they come back from their night of partying. Yeah. So. Because they're, they're super sick afterwards. Super sick and hungover from the ecstasy and the drugs and the drinking. And the injuries. And the injuries. <laughs> yeah, the face. Pl- yeah, they're just a mess. Yeah. So Adora's taking care of them. And there's a there's actually kind of a big difference in the stories from book to show, which I thought was important. In the book, Adora goes to take care of Camille. Yeah. And she gives her medicine. Mm-hmm. And in the book, uh, Camille takes it. She's like, okay. Yeah. She takes the medicine and kind of lets her mom dote on her a bit. Yeah. And then she becomes extremely ill from the medicine and thinks like, I wasn't sick until I took the medicine. Yeah. And so as an experiment, she took more medicine later yeah. and got more sick. And she's, she's like, yep. <laughs> it's, it's definitely the medicine. But I like in this show, she actually refuses it. Yeah. Which feels more in line with her character. Yeah. She's just like, mom, don't fucking touch me. Yeah. Like, leave me alone. You just told me how you never loved me. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Basically. Yeah. But she, but uh, Adora is still treating Amma Mm -hmm. in that way. And just through seeing how Amma is reacting, reacting, she kind of makes the same conclusion that she's poisoning Amma through the medicine. And this leads to the big reveal that she realizes Adora was keeping her sister sick. This whole time. This her, her, Marion, her sister that died. Yeah. Adora killed her, basically. Yeah. And it's a, uh, a mental disorder called, I can't remember it. What is it? I, fuck. <laughs> Mnuchin. Mnuchin by, by proxy or something? I forget the first word. Yeah. Essentially, there's just... Mnuchin. It's not yeah, Mnuchin. It's something like that. That is where you like you make yourself sick in order to get attention. And Mnuchin by proxy is where you make someone else sick, yeah. namely like a child. So for that, attention. For attention so that you, you can look strong and you can be nurturing yeah. and kind of have this control over the person. So you look like a better mother. And it's often in mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she this whole time had been poisoning Marion and all of Camille's childhood, she just sort of like didn't really want her mom to nurse her and baby her. So she always like kind of denied medicine from her mom. Uh, so she was never poisoned. Yeah. So her mom just focused her energies on Marion. Yeah. And kind of explains why her mom just always kind of hated her. Cause yeah. She wouldn't let her poison her. Yeah. As a kid. You know. <laughs> How kids are. And uh, Emma is now being is the new Marion basically mm-hmm. and it sort of goes through these periods of like sickness and being well sickness and being well um but you find out Emma kind of knows about this yeah because Camille talks to her and she's like sometimes I don't take it like I pretend to take it um but sometimes I let her baby me you know so she's sort of they have this push and pull between them they have this fucked up power dynamic over yeah. it where and at one point you don't understand the association yet, but Emma tells Camille, she's like, do you ever let people do things to you because it gives you the power? Yeah. And Camille's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> but she was talking about this, that she, as a power move on her end, she lets her mom do it so that she can kind of have power. Over her mom. So this is really kind of an interesting 
fucked up relationship. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, so Camille makes this conclusion. She's torn up about it. And in the book, she talks to Richard about it. And Richard is like, because here's the thing, though. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm jumping around a bit. She, when she realizes her mom killed Marion, she then jumps to the conclusion she also killed the two girls that yeah. went missing in the town. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's a weird thing to jump to. Yeah, because poisoning and strangling and pulling out someone's teeth are very different. Super different. Yeah. And especially Adora. I was immediately like, Adora's so frail. Yeah, she gets like cut by a thorn and she like talks about it for days. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you're making me bleed. And so, yeah, I, I was immediately skeptical. I'm like, that does not mean that she strangled those girls. Yeah. But that's the conclusion Camille jumps to, and she tells Richard in the book about it, and Richard's like, yeah, I've kind of thought it was your mother, like, literally this entire time. He's like, yeah, the only reason I really even talked to you was so I could find out more information on Adora. And Camille is like, wow, you're a pretty good detective, and I'm kind of a really bad reporter. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially. I'm kind of bad at this. Uh, But then... In, in the in the show, it similar. Yeah. Um, Richard kind of is actually going on his own. Inv- he's kind of investigating Camille, which I did not understand at all. Yeah. It's kind of a fake out where you think that he thinks Camille did it, even though she lives in St. Louis. And was not around. <laughs> yeah. He kind of thinks she did it and is investigating her. And that leads to him knowing about her sister's death and her mother. So they just come to the same conclusion at the exact same time, essentially. Yeah. Um, but... Camille is like, I'm not going to let this happen anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go home and I'm going to let my mom poison me. <laughs> but before she does that, she decides to throw out the rest of her journalist integrity. Mm-hmm. By- oh, 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 my God. I can't believe I forgot about this. So first she slept with the de- Detective Willis, Richard, uh, which uh, makes sense if you're reporting on something, you know. Sure, yeah, just yeah. sleep with the sources. And then she's like, I've come this far. <laughs> <laughs> I might as well sleep with the, the person, number one murder the, suspect. The number one murder suspect in the case, because I don't think he did it. Yeah. So she sleeps with an 18-year-old boy, yep. Jonathan Keene. Yep. Um, because they both have experienced loss in their lives. Yeah, and I sort of get this. Like they bond over the fact that both of their sisters are dead and they are not over it at this point in their life. Uh, but I think we definitely need to call this out. It's problematic because she's 32 or yeah. something and he's 18, just graduated. So like, yeah, he's legal, mm-hmm. but which they make several, they, at several times they point that out. Like, yeah, Oh, he's, like, 18. he's 18. He's 18. He's, he's a legal fine. age. Yeah. But, um, and when they do have sex, they're both pretty drunk, but, in this case, it's pretty like, I mean, he's 18, so he's not legally allowed to drink. Yeah. And he's super drunk. Camille helps him to get drunk, like gets yeah. drinks for him, takes him to a hotel. And I, it's supposed to be a touching scene, I think, where he looks at her scars and is sort of accepting of her. Yeah. Um, But to me, I was just disturbed by it. Also, I didn't look it up. The, the guy who plays... Uh, Jonathan in the show is absolutely not 18. No. I want everyone. No. <laughs> if, if you're on any way on Camille's side right now, yeah. I want you to go on Facebook 
and I want you to find an 18 year old boy on Facebook yeah. that like you might be friends with or is someone's kid. I want you to look at a real 18 year old boy. They do not look like no. how they do in shows. No, like they are children. Yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> and I don't mean that in a mean child. way. Yeah, like I think a lot of times people kind of give this almost a pass in shows because teenagers are often portrayed by older actors. Yeah. Uh, but in real life, an 18 year old, they look they, they look young. They yeah. don't look like adults. Yeah. So it's very odd and weird that she would have sex with Jonathan. Yep. She does it, though. <laughs> she is the worst reporter. <laughs> she's she's real bad. And then after and, and Richard finds out that she slept with Jonathan. Oh, and then we get the worst scene in the whole thing. In both versions, I think. Yeah. Where she's so upset that Richard found out and she wants Richard to like her that she tries like unzipping his pants to blow him. Yeah. Like on the spot. Yeah. And she's she, like, <sighs> like me again. Like, I want you to like me. It's very sad. It's super sad. It's just yeah. like, God. <laughs> um. Anyway, she's like, I know how he'll like me again. I'll get poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um... I guess in the show, she doesn't... It almost seems like in the show, she's doing it to try to save Amma. Yeah. And I know I'm saying Amma. Um, I'm saying like Amma or Amma. I keep doing that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, know how to say it. I'm not sure. But it, That's true. It in is... the show, it seems like the mom is kind of going overboard on like poisoning Amma. And so it almost feels like Camila's like, no, tend to me now. I'm sick. Poison me to try to help Amma. Yeah. Um, but it's just, yeah, she just lets herself get poisoned and then yep. she takes more poison. And I, I like this setup a lot. It's this creepy, it, it has the potential to be very suspenseful and very creepy because Camille's kind of trapped in this house and her mom's like force yeah. feeding her poison. And it, it's kind of got, especially in the show, like this horror element. Yeah. But there's not a total sense of urgency about it, you know. She's poisoning them now, but she's not going to kill them, or at least not intentionally. Yeah. So ultimately, even though Camille is very sick from this, we don't get any idea that Adora actually wants to kill Camille. No. Or Emma or anyone. Yeah. So it's kind of, there's kind of a lack of tension about it, too, mm -hmm. that I think could have been done a little bit better to make it more suspenseful. Yeah. Uh, but in both the book and the show, um, the police show up. Um, in the book, they show up because uh, Richard had suspected Adora all along and they get a warrant to search her place, find Camille and Amma really sick and, you know, find all this evidence of poison in the house. Yeah, she's got like, <laughs> I hope in the book they list all the things she has. She's yeah. like 90 horse tranquilizers. Yeah. She has uh, sedatives meant for cows. And like malaria medicine. Like yeah. All this really weird stuff. Just that she makes cocktails of poison for her children to yeah. ingest. Uh, okay. So in the show, they find pliers in the house. Yeah. That match the marks of the teeth of the girls. Mm -hmm. Do they find anything like that in the they book? Do. They, they do. They find the pliers. Okay. Yeah, uh, okay. but they don't find the teeth. I couldn't remember that because, yeah, they can't find the teeth, but they find the pliers. Mm -hmm. So... They're they're definitely suspecting her based on some evidence that she killed yeah. the two girls. And they arrest her. And they arrest her. F fast forward some time. Uh, Camille, who is now bonded with Emma, takes her in back to St. Louis to live with her. Yeah. Uh, Alan <laughs> stays around while 
Writes uh, letters to Adora in prison. <laughs> yeah, while Adora is going on trial and stuff, mm-hmm. and things seem to be going good. Uh, Am is in school now. Amma has a friend. Uh, uh, Camille is continuing to be a reporter. Yeah. Every, like Camille's trying to bond with Emma and give her the life that she needs to have that is not filled with poison. Yeah, <laughs> like 100 <laughs> percent less poison in your life now. Uh, and the book kind of depicts it as being very a lot a big struggle. Emma kind of is all over the place, kind yeah. of emotional, which makes sense, I guess. Uh, in the show, it seems more of like kind of a happy uh, epilogue scene of, yeah. of them. Being sisters together. Being sisters and living together. And then suddenly, um, Emma's new friend, May, disappears. Yeah. And um, she is found in the book later with no teeth. Four teeth missing. Four teeth missing. Missing. Sorry. <laughs> and Camille's like, huh. <laughs> and she goes to investigate in Emma's room and discovers to her horror that Emma has this big dollhouse that she loves, okay? Yeah. <laughs> we haven't talked about it at all. But she has this big model home of their actual home. Yeah. And in Adora's bedroom in the model home, the floor, which in the real house is made of ivory, yeah. in the dollhouse is made of human teeth. <laughs> human teeth. And in the book, we get this whole kind of ending scene where the authorities come they take Emma away yeah and they sort of explain what happened you find out that Emma and her three 13 year old sexy friends kidnapped these girls together and then kind of held them for a while and then like helped each other strangle them okay yeah Emma, I can absolutely believe. Yeah. But the fact that they How made this. How did she this, get these girls to do this? Yeah, this implies that like all three girls are sociopaths. And yeah. And that's like ridiculous. Well, and they are like, there is a, lo- a bit where Emma says like, I can make my friends do anything I want. Yeah. But this claim is like really wild. And it's one thing to be like, oh, I can like peer pressure them into doing stuff into like, oh, let's kill someone together. Yeah. And none of them have cracked. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And it doesn't even seem like they're silent because they're afraid. It just, no. Yeah. Like they don't care. It's very bizarre. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, but I was did? right. I was right from you like right. the beginning that Emma absolutely she killed did. them. And like I said, I was never convinced that Adora did it just because she's so frail and yeah. whatever. Um, I actually really liked, though, the way the show ended. I did, too. In the book, they, like, just really over-explain the whole ending. Yeah. Like, they just explain everything and tell you, and they don't, there's no, like, there's none of it happening. Yeah. Nothing happens in the book for so long. Yeah. And then suddenly, oh, everything about the explanation and what happened. It's, super quickly wrapped up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't into it. Me either. The show, though... Does it so well where um, May's mother comes to Camille and is like, hey, uh, my, do- my, do my daughter, I don't know where she is. And, and Camille's like, oh, no, I'm sure she's around somewhere. And then when she she goes into Emma's room and is looking at the dollhouse and she finds a single tooth in the dollhouse. Yeah. And I don't know if I would have understood this. No. Yeah. That the floor was made of teeth. Yeah. Because it wasn't. It wasn't clear. It wasn't super obvious. We didn't get a, a close up of it or anything. I mean, she finds a whole tooth. 
So that's clearly enough evidence. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when she finds this, suddenly Emma appears in the doorway and sees her holding the tooth. Her holding the tooth, and she just goes, "Don't tell Mama." And you're like, <gasps> and, then, and then it ends. Yeah. It's done, and it cuts to this like kind of energetic rock music. Yeah. And I loved it. I mm-hmm. loved that ending. Yeah. Because in my mind, if I saw like. The ending is so crazy. Yeah. That not only You're like, what the fuck? Not only is Camille's mom a murderer, yeah. but her sister's a murderer too. Yeah. And in your head you're like, where do you even go from there? Yeah. What even happens next? Yeah. The wrap up is like, what can you even do? What would Camille even turn her in? Yeah. You know? And, yeah. And and Emma, and I love the line, too, because you just immediately know, oh, she's fucking crazy. Oh, my God. Like, her response is, don't tell mom. Yeah. You're like, she's nuts. <laughs> so I really love how. I, the tone is really great. Yeah. With that. I really. And, and just how they didn't try to explain it. Yeah. And I really did like that, too, because it was just like, oh, and now let's explain why they would do it and how this happened and go into all the psychology of this and blah, blah, blah. And it was just really boring boring honestly yeah just, <laughs> uh, and, and super depressing obviously yeah. so I, i'm glad they bypassed some of the depressing elements of oh now camille's sister's a murderer too yeah we did get a weird sporadically cut montage at the end credits though yeah of, of i Emma guess and her friends strangling a girl yeah and also i think may showing yeah. how she killed may it was weird. It was weird. I didn't need that. No. I don't know why they included it. I guess they just wanted to show a vicious scene with Emma being like, rah, and like strangling <laughs> someone. Like yeah. that she was capable of doing Maybe it. Maybe in case you didn't believe it, I don't know. Yeah. But, eh. yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Camille was, so, and this is, oh my God, this is another big issue for me in the book. Ultimately. What did Camille do other than ineffectively investigate this story yeah. and then let herself get poisoned and then rescued? Well, and it's like, if she wasn't there, the detective would maybe have figured it out anyway. Because he was like already on a he already, scent. In the book, it was before she even got there. Yeah. And in the show, he was kind of, I mean, I guess if Camille wasn't there, he wouldn't have been investigating yeah. Camille and her family. But that's not really Camille's like, like her intent no so yeah and you're like would he have figured out that Emma did it maybe not but i don't know she doesn't affect the plot at all and she doesn't grow at all as no. far as you can tell no it's like actually she should be more fucked up now oh my god there's <laughs> like she was literally no hope. <laughs> i'm sorry like but at this point in her life she finds yeah. out her mom I mean, unless that gives her some amount of closure, I don't know, but... Yeah. So, yeah, just the mystery element of the story wasn't... Really there. Wasn't really there. Camille wasn't an effective lead plot-wise, and characteristically, she was terrible. Was not a good reporter, either. No. (laughs) Um, And it's weird. I have so many issues... With so many elements of this story. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't hate reading the book or anything. No, it was interesting. It was interesting. And the show's really well done. Like, it's really well made. Yeah. Uh, it's got element. It it, it has a same, similar vibe to Big Little Lies. Although I'd almost argue it's kind of like the opposite. Yeah. Where Big Little Lies really uh, kind of made a big deal about the 
mystery of it. Yeah. And kind of sensationalized it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sharp and but had like the women in it kind of bond in a lot of ways that were yeah. really nice to see. Whereas Sharp Objects, like all of the female characters in it have really toxic relationships with one another. Yeah. And exhibit like terrible, terrible characteristics. Mm-hmm. And the murder is not interesting. Yeah. So it's almost like nega big little lies. Yeah. And I do like that. And I do like that this story like shows villainous women, you know? Yeah. I'm not a get. Yeah. That it's like, you know, in during the whole story in the show and in the book, the characters are, are always like, oh, well, it wasn't a woman who did this. A woman wouldn't do this type of crime, you know? And I like that idea that like, oh, a woman wouldn't do something like this where it's like, Actually, women are capable of like horrifying things, yeah. you know, um, that's part of feminism. Is yeah. <laughs> like accepting that aspect as well. Yeah. And I, I did like that aspect of it. But I think, yeah, some of the things were a little heavy handed. Uh, Camille doesn't really grow or change that much as a person, which is really hard for a reader or a viewer. Yeah. And I think when your story is this kind of bleak, it just is exhausting and yeah. feels like what was the point of any of it? Yeah. Like, okay, women can be terrible too. Okay. <laughs> Accepted. <laughs> is there more to this? Yeah. Like, is there even a glimmer of hope? Yeah. And kind of ultimately it doesn't seem like there is. No. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was interested because I read this book before and I remember being like, oh, I like Gone Girl better. And I was like, I'll, I'll be interested to see what I think reading it, rereading it like a few years later. Still like Gone Girl better. Oh my god, yeah. I <laughs> no comparison. Gone Girl's themes are so much more interesting and kind of nuanced yeah. and um characters are explored better. Gone Girl's way better. Yeah. Uh but out of this book and this adaptation, which did you enjoy more? Um maybe slightly the show. Mhm. Um the ending I liked a lot better. Thought that yeah. was handled in so much of a better way. 100% better. Um, I liked Amy Adams' performance a lot. Yeah. I think she did add something to Camille and maybe helped us like her a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah, slightly the mo- slightly the show. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll say the show too, mainly because, I mean, they're so similar. They are. Um, I think the style of the show is interesting. Like, it's kind of got a horror creepy vibe to it that the book didn't have. Yeah. Like, she's constantly, like, seeing the ghost of her dead sister. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very <laughs> creepy in that way. And it did somewhat fix a few of the problematic things I had with the book. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, they're on pretty equal footing. Yeah. But yeah, the ending is another thing that I liked a lot better th- with the show. So I'll say show two. Yeah. You know, um, even though once again, not a lot happens during it. It's kind of meandering mm-hmm. and it's got even some more filler than the book than does. the book <laughs> in a plot that already is almost non-existent. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's just like Camille talking to people mm-hmm. pretty much the whole time. And one of my problems with another one of my problems with the story was that the poisoning kind of entered in like the third act. Yeah. And so and you really didn't have any hints of it beforehand besides the fact that like her sister was sickly and that was it. Her sister had, I think it's more out of left field in the show. Yeah. In the, um, in the book, they do talk about, uh, Emma having kind of sick spells, but then when 
Camille finds out that she's kind of a partier and a drinker. She's like, no. okay, she's hungover. Yeah. Like, okay, big yeah. big deal. So they kind of set it up and explain it away mm-hmm. pretty effectively. But I think in the show it is a little bit more like, what? oh, now she's poisoning her now yeah. when she hasn't been. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I kind of I feel that. So slightly the show? Slightly the show. Let's do lightning round. Let's do lightning round. Okay, so my thing for lightning round is... Uh, in the book, her name is Meredith in the show. I think her name is Ashley, but John Keene's girlfriend yeah. is just like the worst, also the worst person. <laughs> like she's with him only because he's like handsome and wants to be popular. And she's like a cheerleader. And all she cares about is getting her name in the newspaper. Yeah. So she agrees to do an interview with Camille and then gets like super pissed when an article comes out and her name isn't mentioned at all in it. And she's yeah. like, you'll be sorry. <laughs> yeah, she's real terrible. Her and her cheer- cheerleading outfit. Yeah, there's a scene in the show where she's just wearing the cheerleading outfit and she's just like, I just fe- felt really... Uh, spirited. Spirited today. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks because that made me kind of like her at first and yeah. then I went to hating her. Uh, I just wanted to talk about a scene in the show where it's during Calhoun Day, this festival where all the characters are together and there's all this tension and there's a scene that is so, I don't even want to call it a scene, a part that is so comical unintentionally, I think, yeah, where all the characters in one moment are just looking across the festival from one character to another character to another character, like eyeing They're each other. They're all looking at each other. Yeah, so like, <laughs> uh, Vickery looks at um, Ann Nash's dad, and then Ann Nash's dad looks at uh, Jonathan, and then Jonathan looks at Camille, and then Camille looks at yeah. um, uh, Richard, and then Richard looks over to Dora, and then Adora oh looks at Am. I swear to God, it was like 12 cuts in a row (laughs) at one point. Like it's kind of that way throughout the episode, but in one part it was just one after another after another. And I honestly started laughing out loud when I realized it, but that's kind of ridiculous, but it was really funny. Uh, Yeah. We're only going to do two lightning rounds since this was a a late running episode, but those are the two. Woo. Uh, Thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, like we said, we have a big little lies episode. If you liked this one and watch yeah. that show as well. Also gone girl. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at cover two credits. That's with the number two mm-hmm. email us at cover to credits pod gmail.com. We're on spelled fa- the normal way. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Like you said, we're on Instagram. We're also on Patreon. If you'd like to support us. Mm-hmm. Um, and for our next episode in two weeks, we will be doing uh, do Android stream of electric, sh- electric sheep slash Blade Runner. It's much cooler titled titled Blade Runner. <laughs> so tune in for that episode and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.